0: You are listening to audio from Creekside Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about Creekside, find out about our services and upcoming events, or listen to other sermons, please visit CreeksideCommunity.org. For the next four weeks um, in our uh, Hebrews 11 School of Faith, our instructors will be Abraham and Sarah. Uh, Abraham and Sarah get more ink than anybody else in Hebrews 11, and we're going to spend three weeks talking about Abraham and one week talking about Sarah. By the way, uh, in the passages we'll be looking at this morning, they are Abram and Sarai because God changes their names later in the story. The lesson the writer to the Hebrews wants us to understand about Abraham is that if I believe God, I'll obey God. Look at Hebrews 11.8 By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going. When we believe God, we obey even though we don't know where that obedience will lead us. One of the encouraging things to me about Abraham is that he didn't learn to obey all at once. Genesis 12 through 25 covers 100 years of Abram's life, from age 75 to age 175. And when Abraham starts off, his faith is very small, just like us. And after 100 years of walking with God, he's called the friend of God and the father of faith, which is my only nod to Father's Day today. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I hear that applause. Um, and what we're going to look at is how God grows Abram's faith over those years because it's the same journey he will take us on, I think. You can see Abraham's life in terms of three great tests, the test of Lot, the test of Ishmael, and the test of Isaac. And each of these tests involves Abraham's greatest desire, his desire to have a son, someone to carry on his family's name. And God doesn't immediately give him what he wants, and he doesn't take away that desire. But over the course of his life, he uses that desire as a tool to teach Abraham to trust him. So we're going to be, over the next three weeks, looking at this journey that God takes Abram on from little faith to great faith. And the first test of faith that Abram encounters is the test of Lot, just like the first test we encounter as we begin to follow Christ, the test of leaving our past in response to the promises of God. So that's where we're going today. So let's pray, and and, uh, then we'll jump in. Father, thank you for your word and for the way you renew us and transform us and strengthen us and reveal yourself to us through it. Thank you for your spirit that you've caused to dwell in every one of your children, and we pray that you will be our teacher, that you will give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Abram's journey of faith begins like our journey of faith. God calls him. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed. And so we want to start off this morning by looking at Abram's call. This is Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country. Abram lived in the ancient city of Ur which is in southern Iraq, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Abram lives 11 generations after Noah. And God's call to him marks the next great step in God fulfilling the promise he made in the Garden of Eden to send a human Savior who will undo the damage that Adam and Eve's rebellion against God did to us and did to the whole creation. And so now God is is calling Abram who will become the nation of Israel from which Christ will come. And because Christ is the Savior of the world, that's why God can say to Abram, eventually it's in you all the families of the earth will be blessed because the Christ that comes from you will be the Savior of the whole world. So this is a major chapter in the story of the Bible because God calls a man and then a family and then an extended family and then clans and finally a nation which from which will become the the messiah that's how this fits into the story of the bible now specifically for abram god tells him if you do four things i will bless you if you leave your country leave your relatives leave your dad and Go to a land I will show you. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. It takes two chapters for Abram to obey those four commands. And and I want, want to look at why. And let's look at his first attempt to obey God. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his nephew and all their possessions which they had accumulated and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Now, back in, Genesis, uh, back in Acts, Uh, in Stephen's the first Christian martyr Stephen's speech he says God first spoke to Abram when he was in Ur not Haran so this sounds like God gives him this call when he's in Haran but Stephen says actually it was back when he was in Ur so to find out how Abram responds to the first time God speaks to him got to go back a paragraph to chapter 11 because that sets up the whole story are you with me here? So we're backtracking here to make sense of this. Terah, Terah is Abram's dad, took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson and Abram's nephew, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan and they went as far as Haran and settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now, how many commands did Abram obey the first time when God spoke to him in Ur? Did he leave his country? The right answer is, yes, he did. Okay, he left Ur. Did he leave his father's house? No, Tara refused to be left behind. In fact, it makes it sound like Tara, was, this was Tara's idea to leave, to go to Canaan. See? He he does he leave his relatives? No, he's still got Lot with him. We'll talk more about Lot in a minute. Do they go to the land God has shown him? No, they only get as far as Haran. Haran is in southern. Turkey, there was a a trade route that followed the river all the way up around and then down into Canaan. So they only get halfway to Canaan and you can just hear Terah. He says, I'm 200 years old. I'm tired of walking. I'm not going any further. So they settle in Haran. What's the lesson? The word Terah, the name Terah means delay. Delay. And haran means fruitless. You see the connection? The point is, is when we delay obeying God, what's the result? Fruitlessness. And that's for a lot of us. Isn't that true? Is that we come to Christ, we kind of give everything to God, but we take a lot of the stuff along with us, and because we're carrying all the stuff that we know God wants to leave behind, we don't get to where God wants us to be. We, don't, we, we, we live a fruitless life. That's, the, that's Abram's first attempt to serve God. He obeys one command. He leaves Ur. But he tries to take along everything else. He can't leave his dad. His dad refuses to be left behind. Let's look at Abram's second attempt to obey God. We just read these verses, so Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his nephew and all their possessions which they had accumulated and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and thus they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Sheshem to the oak of Moreh, Now, the Canaanite was then in the land. This is written by Moses, by the way, who wrote Genesis. And he wants his audience, Israel, to understand that these Canaanites, whom you're about to go to war with, they've been around for a long time. That's why we'll see that little phrase, the Canaanites were then in the land. He keeps reminding them of that. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. We're home. We're here. This is the land that I'm going to be giving to you and your descendants. Implication, you will have descendants forever. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Okay, Abram's second time. Now, aren't you glad that God is the God of the second chance? Or the 30 second chance? He doesn't give up on Abram when he only obeys one command. He speaks to him again in Haran, makes the same offer. Leave your country, leave your father, leave, leave your relatives, go to the land I'll show you. How many of the commands has he obeyed this time? Has he left his country? Already did. Okay. Did he leave his father? That was easy. Tara died. <laughs> did he go to the land God showed him? Yes, he's in Canaan now. God, God appears. This is it, your home. This is it. Did he leave his relatives? No, he's still got his nephew Lot with him. And this is where the, the test of Lot actually begins. Why does Abram disobey God and still bring Lot along? That's the question. Why is Lot still with him? He could trust God for the land because he could see the land. He can't yet trust God for a son. And so he brings Lot along just in case, just in case God doesn't come through. Um, Abram is 75 years old. Sarai is 65 years old. They're on Medicare. And, And she's never been able to have children. And the idea of them as a couple having a child just boggles. Abraham. And so I'll believe God. God. God will do that. But just in case, just in case God doesn't fulfill this promise, I've always got Lot. Lot, we all have lots. We have lots of lots. And, and Lot is what I bring along from my days before God called me just in case God doesn't come through, I've always got a lot. One of my first lots was a relationship with a, a woman I had been dating for a year before I became a Christian. And she became a Christian about two months after I did. And she was the one thing that I did not talk to God about. You know what I mean? Everything else was on the Everything I surrendered everything else to God except for her because I was so afraid of spending my life alone. So it wasn't like I was holding her. Well, it was because uh, I just was afraid if I asked God, he would say, you need to leave her behind. And yet... New Christian, God was blessing me. I was involved in ministry. Things seemed to be going good. Just like for Abram, things seemed to be going good. God appears to him in in Canaan and says, your home, here's your land. Abram builds a couple altars, calls the name of the Lord. Everything is going great. But God doesn't forget about Lot. Look what happens. Abram journeyed on continuing toward the Negev, that's the southern part of Canaan. Now, there was a famine in the land. Pressure strengthens real faith. Pressure reveals incomplete faith. Pressure either pushes me towards God or pulls me away from God. Abram arrives in the place he knows God wants him to be. The land God has promised to give him and his descendants forever. What should Abram do when he finds there's no food there? Trust God. I'm where God wants me to be. God is just going to have to feed me. But let's see what he does. Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there for the famine was severe in the land. In the Bible, Egypt is usually the place where God's people go when they can't trust God. You notice that? It is a land of idolatry, of sensual delights, of temptations. It's it's the last place that God's people shouldn't shouldn't go. But because Abram can't trust God to take care of him in, in Canaan, He takes care of himself and begins to trust himself. Have you noticed that when you stop trusting God and start trusting yourself, everything goes downhill real quick? That's what happens to Abram. It came about when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, see now, I know you're a beautiful woman, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me but they will let you live. Please say you're my sister, so it may go well with me because of you, and that I may live on account of you." Now there's two things that surprised me about that. First of all, Sarah is 65 years old. And yet Abram is afraid that when the Egyptians see her, they'll kill him to have her. All that walking and low-carb diet paid off. The thing that's even more amazing is this is Abram, the father of faith, the the chosen of God, who says to his wife, it doesn't matter if you have to sleep with another man, as long as I'm safe. Let's lie and claim you're my sister. And the point is, is that one compromise always leads to more compromises. Isn't that? that? That... There's no truce with sin. Either we're conquering sin or sin is conquering us, right? And so when I give in at one area of unbelief, that unbelief is like a cancer and begins to spread and spread and spread, and I never know where it's going to end up. So here you have this great man of God, the friend of God, telling his wife, I'm not going to protect you. Just pretend you're my sister and everything will work out for me. It came about when Abram came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Therefore, he treated Abram well for her sake and gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. So Abram lies and makes out like a bandit, he gets rich as a result of his lies because Pharaoh thinks this is his sister. I'm going to treat uh, him very well because I love his sister. Well, Abram won't protect his wife, but she's a woman of faith, and God does protect her. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. The whole palace has Egyptian COVID. <laughs> Everybody's really sick, and for some, somehow, Pharaoh finds out it's because Sarai is in his harem. So put yourself in Abram's shoes. He has made the most powerful dictator of the world look like a fool. So he finds himself on his face in the throne room before a very irate pharaoh. Then pharaoh called Abram, who he had made rich, and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So I took her for my wife. If you were Abram on your face in the throne room being yelled at by this pharaoh, what are you thinking at this point? Why did I leave Canaan? Better to starve in Canaan in God's will than to die a very unpleasant death in in Egypt, which I'm expecting. See how God humbles him? See how God shows him that when you act out of faith in yourself, it's always going to get you into trouble. Well, God's discipline is usually... Painful, but not fatal. Pharaoh continues, now then, here is your wife, take her and go. Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they escorted him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. And so a very humiliated Abram is deported out of Egypt and declared uh, an, a person non grata, and uh, in embarrassment goes back to Canaan. For the, uh, the three years that I continued to maintain this relationship I had and did not, I, that relationship became an anchor in my spiritual life because every time there was pressure, every time there was a famine, every time there was a problem, I would think, is God mad at me? Is God punishing me? I, I couldn't really trust God during that time. Um. And one sin opened me up to other sins, and so my spiritual life really wasn't go anywhere because I kept hanging on to Lot. You see, Lot is an anchor for Abram. He didn't leave Lot, and so Lot keeps holding him back from really being blessed by God. That's the point. And that's what happens with the lots in our lives. We all have lots, and we're going to talk about them in a bit, what may be your lot. But when you take something along with you that God says you don't need, it's really holding you back and giving sin a foothold in your life and giving unbelief a, a, a foothold in your life that it otherwise wouldn't have. Now, I want to look at Abram's third attempt to uh obey God, and the successful attempt, because God does remove Lot from his life, and it's the way God removes Lot from our lives, and so I think it'll be helpful to you. Let's look at the third attempt. So Abram went up from Egypt, then to the Negev, he and his wife and all that belonged to him, and Lot with him. Now, Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. Do you you know that God can bless you when you're in sin? You ever notice that? How many of you deserve what you have? We don't, do we? God doesn't bless us because we deserve it. He blesses us because he loves us. So Abram is being blessed financially, but spiritually, he's not where he needs to be. He went on his journeys from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Abram goes back to the place he last talked to God and calls on the name of the Lord. What do you think he and God talked about during that time? I think they talked about Abram's adventures in Egypt and about his unbelief, and they talked to him about Lot. You say, why do you think that? Because of what happens afterwards. Because for the first time, Abram is finally able to let go of Lot. And we know the only way we can obey God and let go of things that he wants us to let go of is through his grace. Usually the issue is not, am I willing to give this up? It's, am I willing to be made willing to give this thing up? Because only God can do that. I want you to see how God makes Abram finally willing to let go of Lot because that's what he does in our lives too. Now Lot who went with Abram also had flocks and herds and tents and the land could not sustain them while dwelling together for their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together and there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Now the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. That's what he should have said back in Ur. But it's taken him two chapters to finally say that. Please separate from me, if to the left then I'll go to the right, or to the right, then I'll go to the left. Notice how Lot and Abram's relationship has changed since Abram called on the name of the Lord. It's gone from good to bad, from positive to negative, to thinking that Lot needed him to realizing we would be better off apart. See that? And so what Abram thought he He couldn't live without. Now he's saying, I can't live with. And so he says to Lot, you take whatever part of the land you want and I'll take the rest. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan that was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go to Zoar. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan and Lot journeyed eastward. Lot looks over the whole land of Canaan and he, he chooses for himself the well-watered Jordan Valley, the populated area, the place where Sodom and Gomorrah is, the place that looked like Egypt. Because Lot liked Egypt. He, he appreciated Egypt. Lot is a picture of the, of the worldly believer who thinks he can have everything from this world and still walk with God. And that will end for him disastrously. But that's another story for another time. Thus they separated from each other. Key sentence, right? Lot, God, Abraham is finally doing what God has called him to do. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinners against the Lord. Abram wants to be right with God. So he says, take whatever part of the land you want, and I'll take the rest. Lot takes the best part. He leaves Abram the dry, dusty hills That's okay with Abram because now at last he's right with God. He's finally obeyed God. Now watch what God does here. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, now lift up your eyes, look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land which you see I will give to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Abram feels like he's giving up everything. And God appears to him and says, now I can really bless you. It wasn't your land to give away. You think you're giving the best part to Lot, you didn't. Everything belongs to you. Not only does the land belong to you, but again, you're going to have descendants. I know you're 75. I know your wife's never been able to have children, but you're going to have descendants, and they're going to be like the dust of the earth, like the stars of the sky, and they will inherit this land forever. After uh, I graduated from college, I went to work with Campus Crusade at at Cal, and uh, my long-term relationship was finishing her senior year in college and that fall because um, she expected us to get married and my mom and dad expected us to get married and our friends expected us to get married and her mom and dad expected just impulsively one day I said well you want to get married when you graduated and she said yes and God said no and I just had this sense of dread. And I just knew that God was saying that's not going to happen. I didn't tell her because I didn't want to break her heart because she needed me so much. But, <laughs> but for, the next, for the next six months, God and I continued to have this conversation. And I would say, look, I'll settle for second best because I don't want to break her heart. And God just kept saying, nope, nope, you can't get married and 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 because we weren't doing the stuff that normal engaged couples do, like make plans, um, buy stuff, you know all those things, finally, she came up to see me one weekend in Berkeley, and she says, "You're going to tell me whether we're getting married or not before I leave." So I go back to pray I'm praying and pray you know' I'm trying to change god's mind and, and I found that's a very difficult thing to do you know Have if, if you found that? I just said, I'll settle for a second, I'll settle for third best. I I can't break this relationship. You know, it, it's gonna decimate her. I didn't particularly want to get married, but I didn't want to be alone. You see? And and if if I broke up with her, I might be alone for the rest of my life. And God just kept saying, Nope, 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 nope. And then we're driving back, I'm taking her to SFO. Um to, to fly down to L.A. And as we're going across the Bay Bridge, I said, I said, I just don't think it's God's will for us to get married. And to my surprise, she didn't dissolve in tears. She said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, dropped her off at SFO. That ended a four-year relationship, just like that. And uh, she, strong woman of God, and I think getting... Getting rid of me was getting rid more than a lot. It was Anyway, I'm driving back. I'm driving back to Berkeley. For the f- I'm alone for the first time in eight years. I've had a steady girlfriend for eight years. Some of them even overlapped. I was, I, I was a weak, wicked man who could not stand to be alone. And now I'm alone for the first time. And I realize I'm going to have to depend on God. I'm going to have, and that's where my spiritual growth really took off. And as I'm driving over the back over the Bay Bridge, there was, I was just flooded with a peace and a joy that I hadn't known for a year, that, that no matter what things look like on the outside, I'm with you. I'm going to be with you. And it would be years before I met Lori. I, For all I knew, I would be single the rest of my life. I had to learn how to live as a single man. But that was when my spiritual growth really took off. All of us have lots. All of us have things we bring along with us just in case. Just in case God doesn't come through. Well, I've always got... Your lot may be your pride. Your lot may be your right to determine what's right and wrong, your right to your own space and time, to controlling your life. It, it may be recognition of other people, power, fame, the ideal marriage, our family, our children, our friends, your body image. As long as I look this way, I'm OK. Uh, Your health, being needed, or being understood, or being admired, being seen as a success. It may be security and safety. Your lot may just be your right to fun and pleasure and avoiding pain. It's what we bring along that if I don't have this, I can't be complete. I can't be happy. And until we're willing to give that up and leave lot behind, we aren't really trusting God. Does that make sense? And that's the first test of faith we all face. Will I trust God's promises for what I can't see and let go of the things I'm trusting instead of God? Someone has said that often we can't move forward until we look back. And only God can reveal your lot to you. So I would invite you to get along with God and say, is there anything I've brought along in my Christian life that's holding me back? Anything you want me to let go of and leave so that I can really experience your blessings? Let me say one more thing. Jesus knows how hard it is to leave. Because look at all that he left for us. Paul writes in Philippians 2, Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be held on to, but emptied himself, taking the form of a man, being found in appearance of a man, became a bondservant. To to save us, Jesus leaves heaven and comes to a sinful planet. He gives up all the freedom." and glory and pleasure of being God to be constrained in a weak human body in a poor country and and experience all the pain and temptations we experience. He leaves everything that we would value to save us. And now he just asks us to leave the things that are holding us back from God's will because God's will is so much better than anything we can come up with. Do you know that? you know that God's plan is be- for you is better than your plan? That's faith. That's faith. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the example of your servant, Abram. Thank you that he's made out of the same stuff as we are. It's hard for us to trust you. It's hard for us to leave. But I pray that you'll give us grace as you gave Abram grace that you will create conflict between us and the things we need to leave so that we can leave them. We pray in Jesus.